morning, Element Church. I want to welcome you to Element, and I also want to welcome you to our final week of our series, Summer Stories. Now, if you'd like to follow along with us today, you can use this QR code um, where you're going to find all the scriptures that we're going to read and talk about this morning. Um, you know, if there's something that God's doing in your life or in your heart, you know, maybe you have questions about something we talk about today. Maybe you have something that you want to talk with someone about. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you would love for uh, for someone at this church to talk with you about or pray over you uh, concerning, if you will use this QR code, it'll lay out uh, all, the, all the scriptures of our service this morning, but also has links to, to ask your question, to share your thoughts, to share your prayer requests, to ask for prayer. You can even ask for prayer anonymously if you don't want your name attached to it. And so uh, I'd encourage you to follow along with us uh, using this QR code, or you can open up your Bible app this morning. You know, in this series, Summer Stories, we are um, looking at the stories of people in our church in which uh, God has been at work in some way, uh, big or small, and allowing that story to both encourage and challenge each of us in our own lives. We began this service this morning, uh, Scott did, before he began singing, by reading out of Romans chapter 8. And I actually want to review that and read it again for us. So whether you were in here at that point or not, let's look at it together. And it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, the Bible has a lot of analogies and uses a number of word pictures to help describe what it looks like and what it means for rebellious sinners, that's all of us, by the way, um, to be reconciled back to a holy God. When, when our sins are forgiven and we're made back into right relationship with our creator, one of the most popular analogies to use to describe what that looks like and what it means is to describe us as becoming a part of God's family. Here in Romans, we see him use uh, the term adoption as sons. And adoption is one of the popular word pictures that it uses. There's actually another passage that talks about it as well in Galatians chapter 4. So let's look at it there. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his forth, sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's the Old Testament law. It's this understanding of those who are trying to do for themselves what they couldn't do trying to be good enough and obedient enough to, to rules and regulations. Jesus was sent to redeem those who were under that old system so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, God did not have to use this term, adoption. As a matter of fact, what he could have done in both Galatians and Romans, as Paul was writing these things, is he could have used this idea of new birth 
to talk about us entering into God's family. As a matter of fact, new birth is actually probably the more common, more popular way of describing how we become a part of God's family. Look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So there's that family idea. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who became and had the right to become children of God by a new kind of birth. Jesus actually has an entire conversation with a religious leader in the first century about this very concept. We can see that in John chapter 3. And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees, that's a religious ruling council in the first century, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly I truly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked the question all of us would naturally ask. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. To enter into God's family means to be born again, not in a natural way, but in a supernatural way. But when Paul, in writing his letters in the first century to the church in Rome and to the church in a region called Galatia, which is in southern Turkey today, he uses this idea of adoption. Now, I want to quickly highlight one thing is attached to this idea of adoption. But before I can talk about it, I need to address one other sort of sub-point in order for us to get to the main point. So let me just read Romans and Galatians quickly again for us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's skip, stop there and Go on to Galatians again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, who were under that old repressive system of trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it yourself, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, before we get to the one main idea that I kind of want to hit on, um, we need to at least talk about um, sort of this excessive use of the masculine noun, son or sons. And some of you ladies and women in here may have been like, that's a weird thing to be said applied to me. Does that mean that it somehow doesn't apply to me? And there's two ways of understanding this consistent usage. One is what we would call grammatically an inclusive masculine. Just like in the Declaration of Independence where it says, and we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And by that, men, we mean all men and women. And this is a pretty common way of speaking and writing, not so much in modern times, but certainly in the past. And 
there's no doubt in the Bible that there's an inclusive masculine use of the term men and mankind and things at times. And if that were true in this instance, then it would be 100% appropriate to translate this becoming sons and daughters of God. Because what we know is that these letters in the first century were written to churches that were full of men and women. As a matter of fact, a lot of the churches in the first century had more women than men in them. And these truths apply equally to everyone. But there's another way of understanding this exclusive use of sons in these two passages. You see, in the first century, the rules surrounding adoption were very, very different than the rules surrounding adoption today. Because daughters and adopted daughters had no legal right to the inheritance of their father. Only sons did. So only a father's possessions would be inherited by his sons. And so the use of sons here actually elevates the place of women to a higher place than they would have had in their natural families in the first century. What Paul is saying here is that all of us share in the rightful inheritance of God the Father, no matter who you are. We all belong in the same camp. And that brings us to the main point that I really wanted to focus on in both of these passages. If you start in verse 16, And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children than heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. He carries that same idea in that other passage we read. Starting in verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see, Paul was elevating all of us to a special level, talking about who we are in Christ when we become a part of God's family. You see, in the first century, adoption was often motivated by different factors than adoption is motivated today. Today, it's often motivated out of care and love and provision and protection and support And while some of those things did exist in the first century, the motivation for a lot of adoptions then was about an inheritance. It was about an individual controlling to whom all of his things would go. But in the first century, it wasn't just about money and land that would be inherited. Because of the way the political system worked in the time, it was also about the inheritance of position, of influence. God says, when, when I adopt you, I not only adopt you and become your loving father who provides care, and comfort, provision, and protection, but I adopt you so that I can give you an inheritance, so that I can give you what's mine, so that I can share what I have with you. The idea of a God adopting humans in order to share what he has with them 
was a radical concept in the first century. And it's an idea that not only shaped and changed the way we see ourselves and the way we see God, but has also shaped the way Christians for the last 2,000 years have looked at adoption in general. And with that, I want to introduce our story for today. It comes from a young lady who's had quite a special experience over the last 18 months. I'm Sine Rankin Smith, and this is my summer story. So I kind of contemplated saying my story because, you know, it's difficult. I actually asked my grandma if I should, and she was like, yes, please do it. So that night I went and I asked my parents, I was like, um, should I do this? And they're like, totally. So here I am. Um, so when I was about six years old, I was put into foster care. Um, I was, no one really told me what was happening. I was pretty much clueless. Um, all I knew was that I didn't have my family and I wasn't living with them at all. So I lived with several households, each telling me who I should be, who I shouldn't be, um, who I should believe in, who I shouldn't believe in. And it kind of made me feel a little lonely because I didn't really know who to turn to. So um, I was also told you're Catholic, you're Christian, you're atheist, and all of these religions and practices were thrown at me. Um, and it made it really hard what I should do in life. So, but for me, feeling lonely at the time was kind of a challenge, but it was just a feeling and it didn't mean that it necessarily was true because I had you know, love, I had trust and I had family all around me. And so then about um, a year ago, moved in with the Smiths, Katie and Seth Smith. Um, when I first met them, I had a feeling like, like this is the family I'm going to be with. Yes, Sine came along. Um, about the time uh, we finished uh, helping Christian, and- He was he was our first. Oh yeah, I guess they don't know. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sine came along after Christian, who uh, we've originally started foster care. Um, him coming into our home, we knew it wasn't going to be um, fostered to adopt just because he was almost aged out at that point. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Sine came um, across our paths and um, I, I didn't think it took, a, it took one conversation to know that she was going to be the right fit for our home. Yeah. Um, and I... It was that weekend that she she came and stayed the night in her at her house and <laughs> then COVID hit and COVID. she never left. <laughs> and yeah, it was a really quick process, um, but you could definitely tell that God was yeah God was in control. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then she's she's been in our home for about a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. and it's been perfect. 
and that this is my forever home. Um, when I first met them also, I asked them why they wanted to adopt and they said that they had a duty by God to help people. And I honestly felt a little offended because, you know, I thought that that was just their main reason. And the reason I actually asked them about why they wanted to adopt, wanted to do adopt, was I heard them talking with, you know, the social worker and she had asked them also why. Um, and I heard why. So then I also asked them to see if it would be any different and it was the same. Um, and I guess the reason I felt offended or hurt is because I don't, I don't really know. It was just something that I had and I don't know. I don't think I really had like God in my life at the time, really. I think the original thought when Sine asked us if if we wanted to, or what the purpose for us adopting her was, was, um, I mean, it, it's been on our hearts for a really long time. I mean, even before we were, I mean, probably in high school, we kind of discussed adopting. We didn't know what that was going to look like, obviously, 15 years ago, but. Um, yeah, we just, she, she asked and, um, it was just one of those things that God played a role through. Um, I don't think it was my intention growing up that I even thought I was going to be an adoptive parent, but looking back at it now, it's like, I wouldn't change anything. Um, yeah, it's just God, God's in control. That's <laughs> That's the biggest thing for me. I was super nervous because I know when she wants to ask a question, it's going to be a hard question. And <laughs> so it's like, well, I don't have always the right answer. I usually <laughs> don't have the right answer. So um, I was just, I mean, the initial response to when she asked the question um, or that specific question of why you want, why do you want to adopt? Why did you want to foster? Why do you want to adopt? Um, was kind of like, well, she's not going to like this answer, but it's the truth. Um, and so I was just like, all right, I got to say, I got to say the right answer. I mean, I got to say the reason why. Um, and that, you know, God had placed it on our hearts. Um, it was our calling. Um, it's something that, you know, not a whole lot of people are called to step into that specific role. Yeah, I felt a little hurt, but then I realized that that's God's plan and I shouldn't mess with it, that they were incorporated in that. And I was really excited about that. Um, my life from six, even before, has always had God in it. Um, every single moment, actually. And I can't say that I understand him or really fully comprehend it, but um, I can start and I can try. Yeah, one verse that I found that was like, I really, really liked, is from 1 John 5, 1 through 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. How I want 
my story, our story, I guess, um, to touch other people is just so they know that God can work in mysterious ways, ways, um, and, um, you might not know it at the time, but, um, but there's going to be bumps and, but it'll turn out good in the end. J.I. Packer was uh, one of the most prominent theologians of the 20th century, and uh, he, he passed away last year. And in his most well-known, best-selling, most influential book, Knowing God, he writes this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Um, Sinead, I just want to say to you this morning that um, in addition to getting a new legal family and last name, uh, that you also inherited a church family and that as children of God, that makes us your brothers and sisters which means uh, that we have your back and are there for you uh, in the highest joys of life and in the lowest moments. And I want you to know that we love you and are proud of you and are so honored to have you as a part of our family. Um, she read this passage of scripture uh, in her story, 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. <clears throat> everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. I don't know if you recognize this. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, which comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is translated Messiah. God's promised anointed one. The one that God promised he would send starting all the way back in Genesis 3 to write what we screwed up in this world. To reconcile us as sinners back to our holy creator. And as God continued to make this promise over and over and over in the Bible, he, can, he started revealing more and more and more about what this Messiah would look like, what he would come to do, where he would be born, how he would die, and how he would still be victorious through it all. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says that for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. For all those who believe Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, that he came to do all the things God promised to do. That in him we find redemption and forgiveness and salvation. For those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. They have been born of God. They have that new birth and adoption. This new identity. They're part of a new family. So my question to you this morning is that if you have been adopted by God if you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, have you allowed that reality to radically transform how you see yourselves 
how you see God, how you see others? Does it alter how you worship and pray? And if not, if you've not been adopted into God's family, then this is that moment for you. This is that moment to open your heart and your arms and your mind to Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises, as the Messiah, as the Christ who came to do for you what you could not do for yourselves. To pay the penalty of your sin on the cross and to defeat death and sin by rising from the grave. Today will you believe in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We are so undeserving of your love, of your adoption, of the new birth that you offer to us. But you don't give it because we're worthy, you give it because you're worthy. So Lord, I I ask, would you do a work in our hearts this morning? If we have come to the place that we believe that you are the Christ, Would you allow this new identity to transform the way we pray, the way we think, the way we worship? And if not, Lord, would this be our moment of adoption? Would this be our moment of new birth in which we believe, in which we give our hearts and our lives to you? As we sing, Lord, would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you in this moment?